Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Today is always a bittersweet time for me. With Mother's Day fast approaching, I get a little melancholy, to be honest. I've lost my mom, a couple of sisters, and several aunts who were really motherly role models. Today's also a reminder that I don't have children of my own. Now, I'm not complaining because I have many, many nieces and nephews in my life who I love dearly and have really become surrogate children for me. But the day doesn't pass without me thinking of my own sweet baby-to-be and what could have been. Hi, you're listening to episode 99 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colin Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. I don't usually talk about how we discovered my kidneys were failing, but it was through a pregnancy ultrasound. The pregnancy never progressed, and I was swept into a whirlwind of tests, doctors, dialysis, and finally transplant. I don't share this for sympathy, but as a testimony that there is purpose and reason for all circumstances. For example, the child I never had saved my life because that's how we discovered the serious situation with my kidneys. Our guest on this episode is someone who intimately understands finding reason and purpose in loss. Rose and her husband, Chuck, experienced one of the greatest losses anyone can, and that's the passing of an infant shortly after birth. Rose Vincy is an author, coach, and speaker. She's married to her husband, Chuck, and is the mom of Bodie, Glory, and Bexton, who is already two years old. We reconnected with the Vinci family recently when they attended a shadow box unveiling for their daughter, Glory. The shadow boxes are located in the LifeBank conference room and are a beautiful reason why our mission is so important to so many. Rose, thanks so much for sharing your story and reconnecting with us. In 2016, you were the mom to Bodhi and excited to learn that you were pregnant a second time. What was life like back then? It was a beautiful time. It was the best of times. It, uh, the best was yet to come in our hearts and our minds. And we lived in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We lived on Hatteras Island. And we were excited to have another pregnancy and bring another beautiful baby into our family. Bodie was two. I even think I told him before I told Chuck. I mean, I knew he wouldn't really fully understand it, but I wanted to make sure that I was pregnant before I shared it with Chuck. And, you know, we were living a beautiful beach life, happy to extend our family and grow it. And it was a blessing. And how wonderful that sounds. And how was your pregnancy? Did it feel like when you were pregnant with Bodie or how was that? It's funny that you ask that because I don't think I've ever said this to in a live podcast or in any of my public speaking, I had a feeling something wasn't right from the minute I took the pregnancy tests. I actually remember taking multiples to make sure I was still pregnant, like from one day to the next to the next. And um, before I even told Chuck, I think I had taken three. 
I never spoke that out loud. You know, that's kind of ominous, like, oh, I think something, something doesn't feel right. You know, mama's intuition and instincts, but um, maybe a foreshadowing that I, that I knew something was about to come. I think it was at 16 weeks you went in for a routine ultrasound? Yeah, just a routine ultrasound. And we had already had a routine ultrasound before that. So we had gone in and I had Bodhi with me. I had a friend with me because Chuck couldn't get off work. And, you know, they were ultrasounding my stomach and being very, very vague. I mean, it's already a dark room. It's already kind of eerie. You know, you want them to say all these things like, there's her hands, there's her arms, there's her legs. And I could see them on the screen, but she wasn't saying much. And I, and I really felt um, I was digging deep. I was digging deep for peace and, and praying because I just felt like she was acting weird. And it was shortly after that she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get the doctor. Mm. And then I knew. And that gut feeling. Yep. To remain calm in that situation had to been really as a test of strength. Yeah, sometimes our kids bring out the best in us, right? Or they save us, like your story. And I do think Glory saved me in a lot of ways, but Bodhi was in the room. So I remember saying to myself, like, just keep calm. Like, you don't want to scare this little boy. So sometimes they make us dig deep for that grit and strength. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I do. What was the diagnosis then? So she came in the room and she actually had said the diagnosis, which was a foreign language to me. It, it was anencephaly, which is in the family of spina bifida. And I remember her distinctly saying fatal. And I'm thinking, no way. You're, are you sure? I'm like, she's not. Anything can be fixed, right? And I remember her also saying that babies with anencephaly can live in the womb, even up to birth, and grow and develop at a normal rate. But because their form of spina bifida, which means there's a hole in the spine at some, at some point in development, in anencephaly, it's the worst case scenario. It is a fatal diagnosis. It's because the opening was at the top of the head, and, and basically the brain gets exposed. So the functionality to be able to live in the world isn't existent. And of course, we went for second opinions. We were believing for a miracle and only to find out, you know, they would say again, it's true. She has an encephaly. So at that point in time, you really had a a decision to make. Yes. And do you carry this baby to term or not? Doctor had said, we need to act fast. You need to go see the specialist, you need to get your second opinions because you have a very short window in which you will terminate. And I, I don't even know that there was another option kind of suggested my friend that was with me in the hospital room and we got in the car and she looked at me and she's like, that's it. And I said, oh no, that's not, that's not for me. So when we talk about, you know, the decision to carry to term, we, we can say all these ingredients that make up the decisions we make our faith walk, our spiritual walk, our, our instincts, our intuitions. It wasn't a decision when it came to carrying glory. It was my instincts and intuition. I was carrying her. As long as I could have her here with me, that's what I would do. And how did Chuck react? How, how did he feel? He, he felt a little different, but his perspective came from protecting me. And he was very worried, like, what if I was at a greater risk because of her diagnosis? But once the doctors were able to eliminate that, he, he felt comfortable 
Um, and thankfully we didn't have to make that decision. And there's a lot of people out there that do have to make those tough decisions that I was not going to be in any detriment to carry her to term. And we became very comfortable wow. as a couple Wow. with my decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, which, I mean, you have to be on the same page for that. Yeah. March 14th, 2017 was the day. Now, did you go into natural labor or was it induced or? I was induced. We planned it. There's a, there's a lot of reasons we planned um, Glory's delivery. One being there's a lot of people involved in her delivery. I think, first of all, the hospitals were watching because not a lot of families carry their babies to term that have a fatal diagnosis. So I think they really wanted to see what it looked like for a family to do this, that chose to do this, wanted to do this, was honoring and loving their child and embracing this journey. And we kind of knew that she was going to be eligible to be a organ donor. So they were certainly there to watch her and see what she would do. That brings up a great question. Where in the pregnancy did you decide that donation was an, an option and that's something you were interested in? I had read and read and read because I was going to trump the doctor's diagnosis for glory, right? I'm just going to keep reading until I can figure out a way to save her or a way that they're wrong. Um, and during that research, there was a lot of families out there that had written stories, articles that their children with anencephaly actually ended up becoming organ donors. And I actually held that close to the vest. I really didn't know even what to make of that or think of that at the time. I was, think I was still wrapping my head around the fact that like she wasn't going to be here and I didn't want to accept that. So I certainly wasn't going to accept that she was going to donate organs because that's just not where my mind was going. But I do think once reality set in, that came back to the surface and I had randomly mentioned it to Chuck in a car ride. He was just having a really emotional day about glory. And I think it was actually talking about planning things for after she passes. And he's like, oh, we have to do that. And I'm like, do. And I could see the, the heartbreak in his eyes. And it was just the moment that I happened to mention, hey, I read she might be able to be an organ donor. And he looked at me and he's like, yes, I want her to do that. Yes, I want her to do that. What a wonderful idea. What a wonderful thought. March 14, 2017 was the day Glory was born. Correct. And how was that for you? It was a beautiful day. She taught me so many things in such a short period of time. And I always say she taught me more than any theologian or amazing scholar and her, her feet never walked this planet because there's certain things that happen when you know time is limited and there's certain things that happen when you know things are out of your control. And one of those was living in the moment. And for us and our Christian faith was surrendering to God and allowing ourselves to kind of receive and have our hands open in this experience instead of the death grip, literally and figuratively holding on for dear life. We didn't choose those things. I didn't choose those things because I had a very limited time with her. I didn't want to sit on the sidelines and be a victim. I wanted her to know that we've got this, whatever it looks like, I'm here for you. So that moment in the delivery room, I knew it was some of my last moments potentially with her and I didn't know what it looked like. So it really was a celebration. We had aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends, lots of nurses, Life Bank staff checking in. Tons of nurses, tons of doctors witnessing. 
music playing. We ate lunch in the room. We welcomed everybody. Um, the Cleveland Clinic is where we delivered her at Fairview. They gave us an extra room. My grandparents spent the night. I mean, it was just, it was full of love. It was amazing. Full of glory. And how long did she live post-birth? I was in active pushing when they couldn't um, sense her heartbeat. So by the time that she was delivered, we knew that she had passed. Um, I remember my doctor actually looking at me when they couldn't find the heartbeat and she kind of nodded and I said, it's okay. And I grabbed her hand and I meant it because there was an overwhelming piece over me that was not from in me. It was definitely supernatural because I think every part of my humanness wanted to scream and cry and be devastated and want more time. And everyone in the room felt that peace. People have come up to me and said they don't have words to explain it. And to me, I can only explain what I felt in that moment, which was if she couldn't be in my arms, there was nowhere else that I'd rather have her be than in God's arms. And it was just an overwhelming peace. That she was taken care of and yes. she was okay. Yeah. Wow. Glory in her short time here on earth made such a huge impact. She was actually the very first neonatal organ donor at Fairview Hospital. She was able to donate her pancreas, several tissues and blood. And a lot of that went for research. Correct. What did those gifts mean to you and your family? I didn't need Glory to be an organ donor for her life to have meaning and purpose. And um, I think for Chuck, it definitely gave him more purpose in this. But the perspective is different. I got to carry her. She lived in me. She kicked me. You know, she caused me to stay up at night. You know, she made me really fat and big and uncomfortable. And, you know, we grew together, literally. I didn't need her to do anything for me to love her anymore or for her to make any more of an impact. For Chuck, though, I think it gave him a lot of comfort and purpose. So for me, I think in our family, I think it's we're excited for her. We're excited that our little girl did this, this little mighty thing. She was so tiny. I mean, she was full term, but she was still tiny. She did this work. She impacted the world. Um, she showed people scientifically, spiritually, medically, and even just in a human aspect, like purpose and loss, purpose and everything. And it was amazing. It was amazing to watch her get to do this. Actually, it's funny that you bring that up too, because there's so many plans that go into place uh, for organ donation and we know them. And, you know, there's timelines that need to be met. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, when she comes out, like if, she, if she's breathing or I have moments or seconds or minutes, I'm not going to want her to rush off. Like we got to, we got to, prepare some time for me to just hold her. And I remember by the time she came out and they put her in my arms and I knew the clock was ticking for viability for organs. I was like, hurry up. You guys got to get going. You got to get her moving. You got to get her to her destination because I just had that overwhelming peace. I held her and I knew that was part of her legacy and her mission amongst many things that she did for us. But wow. I didn't want her to miss her deadlines because I wanted to selfishly hold her. How generous of you, but you're absolutely right. We're the, the clock is always ticking when it comes to donation. My gosh, 
You've kind of mentioned it, but glory has impacted you and your family beyond 2017 and that one day. She's with you every day. How has she impacted you all these years later? We think of her every day. We talk about her every day. We're so proud of her. She changed our lives forever. I mean, some of those spiritual things that we had to tap into that we never had to imagine we would tap into, like living in the moment. I mean, we say those things as humans, but to really do it and take every moment as precious and sacred. So carrying those things over, I, I know this is such a elementary example in comparison to the greatness of life and death. But I often think if I could trust God with my daughter, Glory, what can't I trust that can happen in life? You know, if, if one of us loses a job or COVID comes, I'm thinking, no, I, we already did this. So there was this courage and this anthem and the surrender that happened in that experience with her. That's what we carry. That's what we really carry this just tenacity and love for life and zest. And that was her gift to you. Yes, absolutely. Lori also inspired you to start your own business, Claritus Collective. Do you want to share about that and what that's all about? Well, thank you. I would love to. Yes. She inspired my, my business. I knew that I was going to share my story with the world before she was ever born, but I didn't know what that story would be. I knew pieces and parts of it, but she really gave the story the legs that it needed to like go out into the world. So I was already a life coach and a business coach, and I had been for years. And um, something happened in the Glory experience, which was I compartmentalized my life. I was a life coach and we worked on strategy and goal set. And then we worked on the mind. And then, you know, oftentimes we worked on the body. And I also learned how to perfect those things and improve those things. Well, I certainly haven't arrived. But with Glory, we overlaid the spiritual and they all had to come together in one moment. And it really um, allowed me to create a platform for my coaching business and a replicatable process of how we don't compartmentalize all these sections of our lives. It is the mental, it is the physical, it is the spiritual, it is the emotional. And kind of coach from that platform. But in Claritas Collective, I also started writing and sharing the story. So last year, for the first time, I became a published author. And I was published in a book, a collaborative book called The Rising Sisterhood. And I actually tell um, a short version of our story with Glory. How awesome. How amazing. That's yeah, great. Thank you. That's great. And then in 2020, you had your second son, Bexton. Yes. And he's now two. Yes. How was that pregnancy for you? Well, ironically, um, he was born just a few months before lockdown and I was furloughed. And then I decided to start the business. And so there was a lot of things going on, but he's our rainbow baby. You know, a rainbow baby is what you call a baby you have after a loss. Kind of they're your, you know, they're your ray of sunshine in the sky or, you know, your color on a cloudy day. We were absolutely just thrilled to have another one in our family. And he is so sweet. He reminds me a lot of his sister because he looks a lot like her. And it's been a gift. We love his personality. It's been a blessing. Ironically, it's been healing as well. I kept telling Chuck after Glory had passed, like, I want to have another one. And he's like, no way. You know, just a little bit of that fear of what if something happened again? Like, could I really live through this again? Could I really do this? And he finally gave in. <laughs> he's like, okay, we'll do it. 
And um, after Bexton was born, he's like, I should have done this a long time ago. I, I don't know why I was waiting. I mean, I really feel like he has helped heal us as well. How beautiful yeah. for both you and Chuck. I do want to say one thing. I have to, I have to really say thank you to LifeBank because I've met so many amazing people through this process. You know, we talk about where the organs go and what it means to be a donor, but as a donor family, we've gotten to hear so many other people's donor stories and really connect with people on such a deep and intimate level, getting to meet you and it's just been a beautiful journey and full of blessings. Thank you. That's the one thing I love about LifeBank is we are a family here and it may not be a family you want to be a part of, but we welcome everyone with open arms. We just embrace you and just we're so grateful that you're part of our family. So thank you, Rose. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story. I felt really honored to be a part of that today. Oh, thank you. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time and come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org.